welcome into the Archive Sports Business Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. And in this episode, we're going to talk about the purchase of the Dallas Cowboys. So, enjoy. So we all know that the Dallas Cowboys are one of the most valuable sports franchises in the world. Not just in the NFL, but in the world. Forbes actually estimates that they are the most valuable sports franchise in the world. Over the New York Yankees, over the New York Knicks, over Barcelona, over Bayern Munich, over Real Madrid, all of those clubs, the football clubs uh, and the football clubs, they're number one. The Dallas Cowboys are number one. According to Forbes, uh, let me pull this up here, they're valued at $6.5 billion. Now, again, and we've talked about this in previous episodes, if you were going to go purchase the Dallas Cowboys, you'd probably need more than $6.5 billion to even make that purchase. Um, we've talked about it in previous episodes, but there's a lot of other benefits to owning a sports franchise. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of sort of moats around you as a franchise. You've got um, a set number of franchises. If a new franchise is going to come in, you have to vote on that new franchise coming in. You've got, if a new franchise does come in, they've got to pay a fee uh, to the rest of the, the owners. Um, again, usually commensurate with, with something like the redistribution of the TV dollars that will occur when that new team comes in. So the new team comes in, they get a share of the TV dollars, but they pay a fee to the other franchise owners. Um, and then additionally, that opens up a new market to those franchise owners. So it's a very, it could be a very lucrative thing, and you're very protected in that sense. Uh, in terms of competition, uh, you're basically your competition is not another franchise or another brand, but is actually a another league that would compete in your sport. Obviously, the NFL holds a very dominant position at this point, and it's hard to see see someone competing with that. Although, of course, it's always possible. So we know that the Dallas Cowboys are this franchise that's you know, number one in the world in terms of value. And so we know that it's the number one franchise in the NFL, bigger than the Green Bay Packers, Steelers, New England. They're number one. So what I want to do in this episode is go back and talk a little bit about the purchase of the Cowboys. We know sort of where it ends up. Jerry Jones is in the Hall of Fame. The franchise is worth $6.5 billion. They can go 8-8 eight and eight every season from now on, and they'll – still be the most valuable franchise. They're, they have the massive stadium in Arlington, Texas. They have, which is probably the premier stadium in the country, and they've got unbelievable facilities right there near the stadium. If you look up any facility tours online, uh, I should post some. I'll post some in the description. It's pretty impressive. So we know where they are now, but let's go back to 1989 when the purchase was made by the current owner, Jerry Jones. So the purchase was made um, in 1989 from Bum Bright, who owned the team, uh, by Jerry Jones for $140 million. And at the time, that was the most that any sports franchise had ever sold for. And as we know with these sports franchises, they tend to break new records almost every time that they're sold and especially with America's team, Dallas Cowboys, that was going to happen. Now, Jerry Jones, of course, you know, played football at Arkansas. He captained a team that won a national championship at Arkansas. 
and always had a dream to own an NFL franchise. You know, he had uh, he had opened up a chain of, uh, I think it was pizzas or something like that, uh, that didn't work. He borrowed the money from the Teamsters Union, which we know some of the reputation of the Teamsters Union, and it didn't work. And he had a chance to purchase another team, uh, I believe it was the Chargers, and he could borrow the money from the Teamsters, and his dad would not let him do that. It, as Jerry Jones puts it, he says, you know, what What do you think I was going to let him do? You know, have at you if you couldn't pay back. So he held off on, on getting involved in owning an NFL franchise. He ended up going, Jerry did, ended up going and, and starting an oil exploration business. Was extremely successful at it. And then saw that the Dallas Cowboys were up for sale. He went and met with Bum Bryant. Allegedly, he was at a trip in Mexico with his uh, son, but he got the he saw in the newspaper that the Dallas Cowboys were for sale. He, he went and met with Bum Bright, and over a series of meetings, many weeks, Bright felt that Jerry was the one to buy the team. And in the introductory press conference, you know, Bum Bright mentioned this was just a business decision for him. He had basically run out of depreciation. And again, we've talked about that, Ross depreciation allowance and some other forms of depreciation. He had basically run out of depreciation and it was a time it was time to sell. So it was a business decision. He had basically run out of depreciation and it was time to sell. Now, on the other hand, Bright talks about how if Jerry ever had to sell the team, it would be like cutting off his right arm because he had such passion for the game, for the team, such exuberance, and that made Bright feel very good. He mentioned that Jerry Jones was you know, the same age as his eldest son, and so it was basically a new generation taking over the Cowboys, and that he felt that they were in very good hands. So let's get into the transaction just a little bit. So Jerry Jones, like, like I mentioned before, in 1989, purchased the Dallas Cowboys for $140 million. So what does that mean? The $140 million was for the Dallas Cowboys, for the stadium, and for the assumption of some debt and some player liabilities. The $140 million was largely funded by Dallas-based Republic Bank Corps, and this was uh, this is according to the Los Angeles Times uh, at this time. And the breakdown of the purchase was $60 million for the Dallas Cowboys Football Club, $65 million for Texas and and it was sixty million for the Dallas, basically for the Dallas Cowboys. But it was the technical sort of entity. It was just Dallas Cowboys Football Club Limited, and that was sixty million dollars. And then sixty-five million dollars for the Texas Stadium Corp, which was the stadium, which of course we know stadiums have a huge. They're a huge piece of these franchises. You can control the stadium. You control the team in many cases. Um. Or if you're a team and you don't control your stadium, that could be a real source of um, revenue loss to you, basically, as a team owner, because many times that team drives what happens in that stadium largely. Uh, anyway, so $65 million for the Dallas Stadium Corp. And then there was an assumption of between $15 and $20 million of debt on the Cowboys Valley Ranch headquarters. And there was some player, some deferred player compensation liabilities that were also assumed. The remaining, again, this is according to the Los Angeles Times, the remaining 37% of the team was uh, divided up uh, between 
was divided up between three of Bright's partners. Uh, Ed Smith Jr. had a 27% stake. Uh, Arthur Templeton, the chairman of Templeton Inland Co., had a 5% stake. And Amelia Hodges, who also had a 5% stake. And an interesting note, Amelia Hodges was the widow of Herman Lay of Frito-Lay potato chips. And then again, according to an article in The Oklahoman, but uh, you can kind of see this in, in some of the press conferences that I mentioned earlier, Bright said that Jerry Jones would be the most enthusiastic owner the Cowboys ever had, which we see is probably true. Now, another thing that occurred when Jerry took over was he fired coach Tom Landry, who had won two Super Bowls with the Cowboys and really was the only coach the Cowboys ever had. So the Cowboys were formed in 1960. And from 1960 to 1988, Tom Landry was the coach, won two Super Bowls. But they were coming off, um, I think it was four of the last five seasons, they had not made the playoffs, and they were coming off a 3-13 and season. And so Jerry made the change at Tom Landry, and he brought in his buddy, Jimmy Johnson. He had known Jimmy for many years, got rid of Tom Landry, and brought in Jimmy Johnson. Now, this was had mixed uh, reviews, obviously. At the time, many people were upset with this. Tom Landry was a legend and you know was basically sent packing on the first day, and they brought in this college coach. Now, we all know how it went, right? It went very well for a, for a short time, five years. They won two Super Bowls and really were the pinnacle of pro football in terms of performance on the field. Then Jimmy and Jerry didn't quite get along and they parted ways. Uh, allegedly, the story goes, and I'll just touch on this real quickly. They were at a event with teams and ownership, coaches, team owners uh, gathered together and Jerry had a few too many cocktails and sort of off the record mentioned potentially firing Jimmy Johnson and some other quibs, you know, that, that anybody could have won two Super Bowls with his with the players that he brought in and that he already had potentially somebody lined up, which was Oklahoma coach Barry Switzer. So once that happened, uh, Jimmy was not too happy about that. He didn't raise his glass to make any toast the rest of the night. He left, and when he gets back, he basically, they enter a series of meetings, Jimmy and Jerry, and ultimately decide to part ways. Uh, Jimmy meets with the press, and, you know, prior to those meetings, and kind of says, look, it was off the record, but there were many people in the room who weren't press. How did they take that? Um, and it's not just that he had a few too many cocktails. And again, these are Jimmy's words. Because he, you know, Jerry said a couple days later, he said the same thing to his business associates that he thought about potentially uh, firing Jimmy and moving on. I think what happened, and many people could talk more about this than, than I can, was the idea that Jimmy wanted control over player personnel. Uh, so did Jerry. And Jimmy uh, kind of felt that he was irreplaceable. And Jerry kind of felt that and wanted a lot of the credit. Uh, people were looking to uh, Jimmy Johnson as kind of the figurehead of Dallas Cowboys, and Jerry wanted to be the figurehead of the Dallas Cowboys. So anyway, so they go into a series of meetings. They kind of air their grievances, several multi-hour meetings throughout a week. 
And then they have a joint press conference where they all put on a great acting job and say that everything's fine. The Cowboys are going to be better off moving forward, and Jimmy Johnson's going to move on. Of course, he does. Jimmy go, moves on and goes into television for a couple of years to wait out Don Shula retiring in Miami. Then he takes over that job with control over player personnel. And Jerry Jones, of course, ends up hiring Barry Switzer, and they go 12-4 and four that following year, and then they win the Super Bowl the next year. So that's three Super Bowls in five five, six years for the Cowboys. Of course, since then, there's been fewer Super Bowls, but Jimmy Johnson and and Jerry Jones now have a a good relationship. Uh, Of course, Jerry Jones mentioned Jimmy Johnson in kind of a comical way in his Hall of Fame speech saying, you know, if he he could have just gotten over his ego, we would have been, I would have been here a lot sooner. And then, of course, uh, Jimmy uh, mentioned that you know, right after this happened, you know, 98, 99, this happened in, you know, 94, 95, uh, Jimmy Johnson's mother died and he was at the funeral area and, and Jerry reached out to him, sent flowers, sent his condolences. And, and Jimmy really was happy about that and said, you know, told him, look, you're quite a guy. So they're doing okay now, but I digress. So since Jerry's taken over, they built the incredible AT&T Stadium, uh, host, you know, huge events, host the natural championship during COVID, Cotton Bowl, the Dallas Cowboys play there. It's basically a palace to the Dallas Cowboys, has the most uh, game day revenue of any franchise by far. It has a lot of, um, you know, suites and restaurants and those kinds of things. And Jerry's built it into a, an earning machine. I mean, and he is a promoter and is now in the hall of fame and has the most valuable franchise in the world, 6.5 billion from 140 million. And again, 140 million with some bank financing. So the return on actual capital invested, uh, at least from the initial purchase price, uh, is pretty good. So that's just a little bit about the Dallas Cowboys, about the purchase, uh, by Jerry Jones, And what we're going to do in the future is look at two kind of iconic franchises, obviously the Dallas Cowboy being one of them, and then the Green Bay Packers, which we've talked a little bit about their ownership structure and their history. And we're going to kind of compare the two. So obviously the Green Bay Packers have been playing a lot longer. They have a very unique ownership structure, which I can refer you to episode 17 of this podcast, where we go into the details of that ownership structure. But in an upcoming episode, we're going to go over Uh, and kind of trace the path of the two, trace the way that they're set up from an ownership perspective, the differences, and some of the, uh, you know, game day revenue and some of the things that have uh, potentially separated the franchises uh, and some of the things that are very similar between the two. So, again, that's just a little bit about the uh, purchase of the Dallas Cowboys. I will include some links below that have some more information. So they're going to be some of the press conferences, and some of the coverage uh, from the time. Uh, Very interesting watches. So, all right. Appreciate it, and thank you for joining us.